938. Joining me now, our good friend, Master Gardener, Barb Lamson. Good morning, Barb. You've been in Georgia where it was nice and warm, I assume? Yes, it was nice and warm and friendly and colorful. And uh, it, with our daughter and her puppies, and uh, I planted until um, uh, at night I was so tired. Uh, by 8 o'clock, I was ready to go to bed. Well, now you were there, and how far ahead are they in their season, though? Because, of course, you know, things are just starting to warm up. The soil here is just starting to warm up. So there it must have been spring, well, full spring? Well, it's zone 8. Okay. So, so, I mean, the the spring is much different from here because, like, the annuals that we, things that we call annuals uh, that we replant every year, they just hold them over in the garden, and then they just take right off and start blooming. So they don't have to buy stuff every year like we do then? Is that uh, the case? Not not unless, you know, you, you want it something totally different, but, like, um, the super tunies, uh, they do very well there through the winter. Yeah. So what do the garden centers sell then if the people are, don't oh, have to well, buy? Because, because, you know, we, the annuals is a big thing I look for now. Right. So now people are always adding new color. You know how that is. Oh, or changing uh, th- out. Things, they see something and they like it. <laughs> and good heavens, the growers are always adding new things. Look at proven winners. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Well, you know, I had such a wonderful experience when I was invited to the home of Wade Wallace. Um, He's a retired doctor. Years ago, he bought 10 acres of land in right in um, Georgia there, right in Columbus, Georgia. It's wooded property, and he never wanted this to be developed into homes and things. This is down in? This is in Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia, okay. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I had an opportunity to go look at his gardens. He is uh, gardening for the pollinators, and that is was such a delightful experience. In the middle of the woods, he has a clearing, and this is a perfect place to grow the plants and things that many of the butterflies flies like and um, uh, the swallowtails are the ones that he's most attracted to if you ever have a chance to buy a book uh, from the National Audubon Society their field guide to North American butterflies is just outstanding okay and uh, and and it it tells you the habitat it tells you uh, the range and uh, for Wade he's in that um, range where many of these swallowtails are and so providing the food that they need for example there's a pipe tail swallowtail that loves the the we've have that pipe vine here occasionally we can get it to grow then it's it's a, a perennial but if it's in a area that's um, a microclimate you know mm-hmm. it's, it's out of the wind and that but for the most part you never see it around here i've seen it once in mankato and that's the thing you, you have to have the the right plant for the the, the different pollinators and it, it's really specific sometimes it's like us certain types of food yes yes and that's that's what what the, this pipe vine um, swallowtail does now are they part of the migration down there or do they actually the swallowtails are living mostly down they, there they have a habitat their, their habitat is there but they also have um uh um 
the butterflies that are coming through. So he had several that were flying around, just big, beautiful, um, you know, that um, wonderful blue, um, like sometimes you see the clouds and they're so blue, blue. Yeah. And that on the swallowtail with the black, just really, really outstanding. Just wonderful. And he, he raises blueberries because they like the uh, flowers from those. Just a whole range of raised beds with this is just all about the pollinators, all about these butterflies that he loves so much. How long much. has he been developing that? I think he said 1991 he bought that property and started developing it. Yeah. And so after being there, and he was so gracious to tell me what each butterfly was and what the requirement was and that, the next day um, I went and visited Callaway Gardens, um, in that's uh, about an hour from where my daughter lives. And there they have a butterfly house. And you enter a butterfly house and you see zillions of butterflies flying all over and they'll light on your shoulder and that. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be terrible if the only time we see butterflies, if it's in captivity, coming oh. to some place like this. It's not like Wade's Garden where you just stand still and you see They're butterflies. Everywhere. And it's just so, it's so calming and so peaceful. And he has provided for them and intends to keep his land like they've provided the habitat, the water, and the specialty plants for the ones that need specialty plants. So uh, it reminded me of, of our farming friend, um, uh, Harvey Hess, and he took 32 acres of his land, and he wanted to preserve it for the wildlife and also to provide a watershed so there was fewer contaminants going into the Minnesota River. Well, this is something you may not be aware of, but you know I've been working with the 4-H kids in the pollinator gardens, and they are expanding, and they have uh, got they got a grant of six thousand dollars, so they have purchased a whole bunch of pocket pollinator gardens, and they. They will be planting them all throughout southern Minnesota. I know they're doing it with the, the Taylor Library. I know they're doing it with the School Sisters of Notre Dame. There, the, that used to be the Blue Earth County um, oh, yes. gardens, Community and gardens. and they're doing mm-hmm. them at different schools in New Ulm mm-hmm. and different places. And so it's just amazing. So these kids are that's that's kind of their thing now. They're going out and planting these pollinator gardens and learning about them. They invited me to. They had a recognition program uh last last sunday and so because i you know worked with them and brought them to my land and showed them the the rusty patch bumblebee and my pollinator gardens and it's amazing what these kids are doing they are going out as ambassadors and letting people know the importance one of the girls is is developing uh bee houses and she's these are we're talking sixth graders seventh graders eighth graders they've been doing zoom meetings and showing people like how you can make your own pollinator houses and things like that and so i'm just so impressed with the kids doing this and uh, last week you were you weren't here either but we had a whole bunch of shows about uh for earth week including james wolfen with the lawns to legume program and so it's so important so i'm glad to hear that they're doing that in georgia and people are becoming more and more aware of it here too you know this is the whole thing it's it's education and when we have the young people i think that children are just really powerful and i think that they can be very convincing and people will want to say yeah well that's right you know we do need to save the pollinators for future generations so that's great well it's for our food every for every i guess the I was listening to their presentations. Every 
um, third bite of food is because of a pollinator I'm sure that you eat. I, w- I wanted to ask you about that program now, Karen. How do um, how do places get the kids to come in and, and start this pollinator garden? Well, they're in fact, if if there's somebody that has a an interest, they can contact the 4-H program. I know uh, Nicola County, Diana Kennedy is one of the folks who is mm-hmm. uh, helping shepherd up these kids. And there was another of the leaders that's over in Rochester. So uh, working with different people through the county extension and I am going to have them they're coming to my lake house and they are going to be putting in a pocket pollinator another pocket pollinator uh, garden on my shoreline partly because I work with them and sure and it's another place to get these uh, these per- important plants out there and the, the thing with the pollinator plants is they have to be blooming from early to late because it's sort of like you you can't just say well I don't I guess I'm not hungry I won't eat for the month you, they sure. need the food all throughout the season so they're very well planned out and and they bought they brought from a company called Pocket Pollinator, and so they're actually all pre-planned. So you know if you don't know a lot about plants, that's a cool thing. It's there, and they actually have sheets. Like you put the sheet on first, like it would be sort of like a landscape fabric, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's like a paper, so it'll it'll disintegrate quickly. And it has X's and numbers, so you, so you ah. put put you know plant A in spot A, yes. plant B in spot B. So these kids, it's it's easy for them because you know some of them are pretty young actually. Right. Right. But then by doing that, they'll learn. You know, sure, for future. Sure. So it's just a great thing. So that's that's really, you know, through the extension, extension's got so many great things going on. So, you know, whether it's your Blue Earth County and uh, Nicola County, I happen to be with that 4-H group. So that's sure. who I'm doing it through now. So You know, what would really be great follow-up is if we had another group of people that would come behind and say, now, okay, you have this wonderful pollinator garden here. We Besides providing the habitat, we have to make sure that they, they aren't being poisoned by all the chemicals that are being put down in yards and right. sprayed on trees and things like that. That would be step number two. Well, right. Yeah, because, I mean, it doesn't do any good if you're just going to spray the lawn and try no, and get rid no. of Yeah, and that's so important. And these kids, well, some of them are putting them on, each of the kids that are in the pollinator program are putting them on their sites whether they're in the country or whether they're in town so it will be spread out because these kids are from different places in sure. southern Minnesota so that's you know I saw a garden when I was coming in this morning or a yard I always think of the whole yard as the garden and right. it it's was a, it had lots and lots of dandelions and I'm going to make a point of going down there and thanking him for that because dandelions are great for our bees they 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 need the pollen they need the uh, nectar and and so that's really a great thing so if you can encourage someone you know, I have violets in my garden, in my yard. Wild violets, uh-huh. It, it, and I do, too. They're wonderful, and they're blooming right now. And I have clover. The clover is so soft. When the clover mixes with the grass, Kentucky yeah. bluegrass, the turf that we grow here, it's much softer than grass alone. Oh, and when the, the Kentucky bluegrass goes dormant, which it normally does, right. naturally does, so in the in the summer when your stuff goes brown, it's like, oh, what's happening? Well, it's normal because it's, it's a hot. cool season. Yep. Yep. Well, the, the uh, clover stays green, and I don't know, yes. but I have been going through my yard with my little pick and picking some weeds out, and in its place, I put a little soil, and I've been putting mini clover seeds in, mini white Dutch clover in there. Yes. And so there have been people, so it's really funny. So here's me out in my yard with my little plucker picking, picking weeds and then replacing it. People are, what are you doing? Because, you know, it's on the sure. main drag. And I'll say, well, I'm uh, plucking the weeds, and I'm putting clover in. 
And they look at me like, what? What? And some people are like, oh, that's great. And then one lady, was so cute, this couple went by and she pointed out, she goes, oh, you have so many weeds. I go, yep, I do. Yeah, and right. and I said, she says, you need to spray. And I go, nope, not going to spray. I says, I'm going to replace it with clover. And the clover gets thick and a lot of times it'll crowd out these un- other weeds that you don't want. Right, right. Well, the other thing about it, we know now that the Japanese beetle goes into the ground, uh, lays the eggs. Drubs. <laughs> And then we get the grubs, and then they eat the the roots of the grass, and then you've got a dark spot. But we don't hear that happening. They're not after clover. I mean, that's a legume. That's something different. It, it helps. Yeah. Hey, I got a question from a listener uh, who uh, has for us, for Master Gardeners, and she says uh, she enjoys yellow sunshine or sunshine yellow peonies. She said, I ordered three years ago two yellow peony bushes, through a local nursery, and her sister gifted her the same one last year. She says one of the three did have a couple of blossoms in the second year, but last year not one bush had any blossoms. She said, I asked the local uh, nursery if walnut trees could affect my bushes. She said to give them another year, so here we are the bushes, and they're coming, and they're looking good. And so I went to the source, someone from the Minnesota Peony Society. Mm-hmm. And that's what prompted her to write this question because she heard us talking about the different societies. Sure. And here's the, the response. And I think if you are one that who grows, or I call them peonies, however right. you say it. But they said, peonies planted in the spring will send all their energy to survival and development and will be delayed a whole year. They prefer to be planted in the fall after they go dormant. So as long as garden centers keep selling peonies in the spring, customers will always be disappointed after the instant gratification is over, and it could be three years before you see blooms again. And You know, the other thing about that we should remind people is when you buy a peony or a peony bush, you have to plant that. If you plant it too deep, that little spur, that little red spur that's there, you're not going to get blooms because of that. You planted it too deep. Right. If you get it up too high, it's going to freeze and it's going to freeze off. So before... Before you decide to start moving around uh, this wonderful bush that's been with us, you know, you find it all over. Um, it's uh, in old uh, cemeteries and places or like that. Or old farm sites, right? Yeah, and it blooms and it's hardy. It's, it's, really, it's really easy to grow if you've got it planted at the right level. Another one of the responses I think is, is good too. This person who responded from the Peony Society, she said, I grow over a, a thousand varieties. I didn't know there were that many. A thousand varieties of peonies and have had several near walnut trees. It depends on how close these peonies are to the walnut trees, but shade may be the, may be the bigger issue. She says, I would at least keep peonies away from the canopy of the walnut tree. At minimum, the peony needs six hours of sun, so keeping out of the canopy would solve both the sun and the walnut tree issues. She says another important issue here is the depth, which you just mentioned. She says um, it, it, the, the one she has is what's called an Ito peony. Ito and yeah, herbaceous peonies Japanese one. Yeah, need to be planted less than two inches below the soil line to produce blooms. If it's a tree peony, plant four to six inches below the graft. And she says other issues that affect peony bloom include too much nitrogen. So like you're like, well, I'm going to fertilize this. Well, then it all mm-hmm. grow, goes to the foliage versus the bloom. Another uh or maybe a lack of another nutrient or competition from other plants or maybe the age of the plant. So, sure. and, and and a good place to go is uh, the American Peony Society. There's yep. And there's also one in Minnesota. And you know, for that group, it's $5 f- for two years membership. I mean, Can you can't you go wrong. And, yes. yeah, and you get all this great resources. So anyway, I hope that answered her and maybe it'll uh, help some other folks that are 
dealing with that? It's a, it's a great investment because uh, once you get a peony, I don't think there's any, uh, unless you've done something terribly wrong, maybe heavy clay soil. By the way, you very rarely see them in the south because they oh. don't like all that hot, humid weather. Sure. And uh, they're very susceptible to uh, powdery mildew. So uh, that's something they don't grow. But you know where they do do this really successfully? Where? Alaska. It's, oh. It's a big crop for them because uh, it when the season is over here, it's just coming in there because there's so much later. They have big wedding business where they're shipping out uh, peonies or peonies uh, much, much later than than we do here. We can get them here. So it's interesting as you go from zone to zone, heat zone to heat zone, you find these differences in what what will will live. Well, the thing that sets you about, Barb, is you have actually garden in each of those zones. You've got your daughter in Georgia, you got your son in Alaska, so you've kind of been the whole gamut. Yes, and you know, for several years I went to Germany, uh, uh, where my daughter was, and I gardened there, and I always thought that that was the worst soil I'd ever gardened in because it was so nutrient poor, and there was so much quack, uh, and they still used a lot of chemicals on their soil, but really dealing with the clay in Georgia that is is that, a pretty heavy stuff yeah and 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 dealing with the permafrost in Alaska that's a different thing too so I come back to Minnesota and I think it's so easy to garden here as a matter of fact we were talking before we went on the air about lily of the valleys how they multiply here oh they're beautiful and they smell so good but I went out yesterday to try and um let's just say control them a little bit because out at the Mm -hmm. lake house they must have been there probably for 25 I don't know how many years that they've been there but they colonize they spread underneath by is it what is it called rhizomes or runners or what do you know what they're yeah they do have a a, a runner that they they shoot out and you'll see them um, it's just like it's like quack grass where they go out and every place where they land they start a new plant yeah. and then that one gets one and then it keeps going and going yeah. and it's beautiful to fill out like a hillside or someplace where nothing else will grow sure. but I have them now invading in my hosta area so I've been digging down I had to dig down at least 10 inches and then I would pull out the the roots and they're like a little whiter fibrous sure. looking and I'd put those in in a a bucket and then I would separate those tree roots and I put those in another bucket and and you have to get every bit or those little fragments will start up again and my goal is to to maybe put like a barrier down and maybe like a, a heavy I don't know if you've done that maybe a heavy plastic just that to put deep down that'll at least prevent them from crossing over into my places yeah. where I'm trying to grow my hostas well well good luck with that <laughs> we, we, we'll stay tuned and, and hear how that turns out the best intention sometimes with some of these oh. things that move around um, sometimes it's just it's just best to get rid of them you know just to, um, if you can put them in some area where they can naturalize and just do their own thing but trying to control them is really difficult oh yeah well and that's that's the thing about a lot of times we were talking about starting new plants. You get this so beautiful, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's it's a thug because it's taking over. Right. You brought in this morning, Barb brought in one of her tulip tops, and it's nothing worse than seeing a tulip that's about ready to bloom, and it's yes. laying on the ground, the, the whole thing. And that has been a really common thing that people in the garden uh, Facebook groups have been talking about is the the, the, the just 
damage from and right. a lot of it's probably squirrels or deer now i've been using this thing called deer defeat and this is the first year i have not had any of my tulips but i've been started early and i keep applying it mm-hmm. um to destroy them but you have this one that they just took the top off didn't eat it just yeah, chopped it's, it off it's actually uh, uh, just the bud and it was about to open and sometimes they'll take it when it is open they attack the smaller uh, tulips and they also attack the great big uh, triumph ones with that big cup on top they it's like you would take a scissor and you just cut it right right where the bud yeah. where the where the flower starts and it's a clean cut if it were a rabbit cut it They're would 45 degrees right yeah, yeah yeah exactly so it's not that could it be a chipmunk or I, I, well i rabbit i not really it's squirrels? it's not deer because we are deer proof we squirrels maybe uh, well, yeah and we have dug down we have a privacy fence plus we go down into the soil several inches and uh, david scouts the perimeter of the fence we have we, we don't have any rabbits there but it's got to be i thought maybe it was a raccoon because they come up oh from the well, ravine you they do come, see them but but i would think that a, uh, a raccoon would at least eat if you're going to spend this time cutting it off, you would eat it. I mean, are you just playing around? Or Well, that's what I wondered, too, because they're not eating. And, you know, deer would probably eat that plus some of the plant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah. I'm guessing it, you know, what it could. It's something else. It's a process of elimination. It certainly could be the squirrels because we have a lot of digging in the yard as well. Oh, Okay, well, it could be. The squirrels, I've heard, are, are being rampant, and a lot of people are not happy with them. Now, so far, I know there are <laughs> squirrels around, but they haven't done my tulips yet, and I've been using that deer defeat stuff right. regularly, and that's my goal. And out at the lake coast, of course, we had to build a gigantic seven-foot-tall fence, and it's got a wire sure. at the bottom, so hopefully the squirrels and stuff don't get I in. am using um, a product that is supposed to keep both deer and squirrels off and it's organic and it's made from rosemary oh okay <laughs> well this stuff is 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 a organic too and it's made of like rotten eggs and in some of those other things that we typically hear and the i think the capsation and that sort of thing 